Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Those battles that you deal with with your family, with your parents, with any naysayers, with anybody who's telling you no, sort of prep you for what is going to happen to you in your career. That's why some of the best comics on the planet are broken people, because the battles that life have thrown them are, are, are so much bigger than the battles this business throws at them. And it's good. Like, envy is good. Uh, uh, guilt is good. Having to prove somebody wrong. Those are all, I mean, they're not, they're not feelings that are good for you. They don't feel good, but it is good for motivation. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am in Montreal. I love it here for the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. And we're going to have a great time today. This is kind of a unique special episode we have going today. I ran into Dave Attell in New York outside the Comedy Cellar, and I went to see him and always uh, one of the funniest, if not the funniest people in the free world. And he took me aside and he said, Barry, it's time that you interview some of the younger guys. The guys are coming up and doing really well. And whenever Dave Attell tells me anything it's like those old EF Hutton commercials I listen strongly and because I believe that his voice is one of the true legendary voices in comedy and he's so generous and so incredible with all comedians and I want to make a difference here on this show and I feel like he's right I want to feature more younger people it's hard to choose because there's so many great people out there. And there's also so many people who are in the business a long time who I haven't even gotten the interview yet and who I want to interview, uh, who hopefully I'll get to do in the future. But today I have a really special episode with a young man who I hung out with uh, at the Olive Tree Cafe. A really special young man, great personality, lots of charisma, a lot of drive and great navigational skills in the comedy world. And I'm talking about Troy Bond. Um, this is going to be kind of a unique episode because I'm only going to make this one episode. I'm not going to break this up into two parts. 
and uh, so it's going to be kind of a unique standalone episode and I know you're going to enjoy it a lot because uh, Troy's a guy who I really really enjoyed watching him and seeing the way he interacted with his peers there's something really special about somebody on the come up trying to navigate and figure out how to get to where they're going without ruffling any feathers. As Jay Leno once eloquently told me, we're all in a line. We start at the back of the line, and sometimes people don't show up. Sometimes people are on drugs. Some people are assholes, and we move up in the line. Sometimes people don't work hard enough. Sometimes people don't pay attention to detail. Sometimes people don't put all their energy toward the ways in which to grow as a comedian like social media. And you move up in line. But when you move up in line, you risk having people feel about you very bad things. Animosity, jealousy, trying to take you down. But somehow, some way, all I see from Troy Bond is love. All I see from Troy Bond is a nice smile and an energy that just says, hey, listen, what you think of me is none of my business. I'm here to be extraordinary. I'm here to move the needle. I'm here to make a difference in this world of comedy. And you can make your difference and there's room for everybody. There's room for all styles. There's room for all ways of doing business. But I'm going to stay positive, and I'm going to take my career where I know I can go. But I hope you do too. And that's the way I feel Troy lives his professional life, and most likely his personal life too. And I think that if all of you young artists out there and many others can figure out a way to do that, I can guarantee you, you're going to have a great possibility of having the kind of meteoric rise that Troy Bond is having in his career. I'd like to introduce him for you. Before I do, though, if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter or at BarryKatz.com. And without further ado, let me introduce Troy. Troy Bond is one of the fastest rising stars in the New York comedy scene and across the country. He can be seen nightly in New York City at Gotham Comedy Club, Greenwich Village Comedy Club, The Comic Strip Live, Broadway Comedy Club, and of course, the legendary Comedy Cellar. He began his career at 17, and he soon found he was addicted to crowds, the laughter, and the attention, and knew he found his calling. But before that, at the age of 16, after hanging up his glittered glove, he started seriously writing jokes because he knew he wanted to be a comedian. Life changed the summer before his senior year in high school when Bond appeared in the quick improv interview from the audience of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. That small, quirky video went viral, which gave him the confidence to pack up his bags the day he graduated high school and moved to New York, elevating his career to a new level. Troy's talents have taken him from the comedy clubs to the small screen where he has been seen on Hulu, Netflix, and NBC and hosted the trivia game show Reward the Fan. Troy currently lives in New York City when he's not on tour 
working around the country performing at clubs, festivals, and colleges. He gained tremendous popularity parodying the sitcom Seinfeld in his digital content on social media, where he continues to grow his following at a rapid trajectory. His popular YouTube channel is a hub for fans to find clips of his work, and he has seen the audience on his page climb to over 360,000 subscribers. And his heckler calls me racist stand-up set on the channel has been viewed more than two million times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. It's really, truly going to be a lot of fun and a great honor. Troy Bond. Here we go in three, two. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a true white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Harry Katz, back in the house, house, house. Let's do this, do this. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of the youngest guests I've ever had on a podcast. In a hotel Troy room. Bond. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mr. Katz. I've thank looked up you. to you for years. This is like uh, I'm shrinking. <laughs> I am too. I'm getting down. Um, I uh, I've been listening to your podcast since I was a. Uh, since I started in stand-up because I was huge fans of um, many of the people that you repped. Uh, and and we have a lot of mutual friends. And then I hear about this thing called Industry Standard, which when you're a young comic, you read all these books and you, you have all this knowledge being thrown at you. But your podcast was the only one that I would be able to pick up little tidbits on. And over time, I feel like 90% of my comedy knowledge has come from just quotes from you like one of the ones that's always in my head is your uh audience is your writing partner um which i think you highlighted a couple of weeks ago but uh so so much of that and what you said is in my dna as a comic it's in my codex that uh that really means a lot to me it it truly is i mean like burr and Chappelle were two comics that i looked up to for for years and still do and um we have a mutual friend chris murphy who, uh, at a young age was always sort of looking out for me and mentoring me and Love that uh, guy. yeah me too um and and you you've just always been been chirping in the back of my head you know that's all i ever want is as uh, all i ever wanted from this podcast is yeah what you are saying to me it's just so odd because it's like when i first wanted to do the podcast people always said to me like don't do it you're you're you can't do that you're you're a manager you're producer you, you don't do that nobody does that do not do that and it just fueled me to do it more because i wanted to make an impact on all kinds of people in, in the business to be able to show them the behind the scenes and and what to do and what not to do so that they wouldn't make the mistakes that other people make or or that they learned about things and so all those people telling me not to do it and they said it would it would hurt it would hurt me in a lot of ways and and truth be told the first uh, time i'm saying this this podcast has hurt me in a lot of ways it it can't not hurt you <laughs> because you're you're pulling back the curtain mm -hmm. on a lot of stories and a lot of things that happen 
and people aren't always happy when you when you tell the truth through your lenses mm -hmm. and um just like I'm going to do with you today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. It's uh, all, all was from a certain point of view. That's what Obi-Wan said. And looking at you is like looking at Obi-Wan. <laughs> well, and I've told you that before. Um, but all, all the truths we hold are from a certain point of view. So like what, what I was going to ask, why do you think people were saying not to do it? Um, and you're saying it's because you're telling stories from a certain perspective or you're giving away secrets or uh, you're not gatekeeping. And you say, yeah. I, I don't want to gatekeep. I want to I want no. be as transparent as possible. But also there's the thing that you have to represent a certain type of artist when you're managing who accepts the fact that I want to make a difference. Mm. You know, I do this thing called the blueprint. I have like 500 people in there. And every Monday I do a, a, a Zoom call, you know, for an hour or an hour and a half. Now, I don't think there's a lot of comics, insert name here, that they'd call me up and say, uh, hey, listen, uh, what's happening? Oh, I just had this great call for an hour mm -hmm. with these people who are young artists, whatever. Uh, well, what are you doing them for me today? Like, did you, I mean, that hour you could have been calling the studios, you could right. have been doing whatever. Um, another artist might say, Hey, uh, what's happening? Oh, a lot of things. I just interviewed Ted Sarandos, uh, president of Netflix. Oh, did you mention me? <laughs> did you, you, did you, did you get a special for me? Uh, did you, uh, how are you going to get them on my podcast? Yeah. <laughs> So if you represent artists that are like really don't understand that uh, your purpose in life isn't just to be Colonel Tom Parker. Right. Yeah. yeah your yeah, purpose yeah. in life is to be great for them and do a great job for them. But in your spare time to be able to do things that that help our world and our entertainment world. And that's the people that... Uh, that I, I want to work with and I want to represent who are accepting of that. But it's hard because, you know, most people, they don't believe that if you're doing that, then you're spending all your time, uh, you know, helping them. But I always believe that at this stage of the game, five minutes of my time is right. worth five hours of somebody else's time. So I can, I'm not worried about making a movie happen or, or doing the television show or, getting a guy a special you know i've done like 40 of them yeah so i never worry about making my mark on anybody so that way i do what i do and the second thing i want to tell you is that when you're on stage everything stops you know you right you no know, no problems no nothing you get off stage and then there's the, yeah the, right for me when i'm talking to you uh, at 1 a.m. at the Comedy Cellar at the Olive Tree and, and about your life and your career or I'm on those calls on Monday or I'm talking to an artist that I manage about his special. I just did Brad Williams' special in New York and it was a, an amazing thing in Times Square. And to put a special together, it's it's a one, it's like a wedding. Mm. It's a, it, There's so okay. many things to work on to make work and my favorite line that I always have is, you know, way back from the Jay Moore days is don't spook the thoroughbred, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, when you're working on a project with somebody, don't, don't get in the stall and yell boo, 
keep everything right. away from them and let them concentrate on their art form. Yeah, it's sort of your job to take the knives and yes. everything else that's that's killing you up. So now I understand where the equivalence is of like stage time. Everything's quiet. You you this is the time you enjoy doing that because when what, what you're doing right now is your equivalent to being on stage for five minutes. The Brad stuff like putting together the special that's probably hell on you when you're not talking to him or you're talking to another artist when you're just doing the ones and zeros manager stuff like the the, the nitty gritty the. It's it's not hell because what it is is I'll give you the equivalent of it. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Tom Brady. Uh, He's the goat. We watch him. He's the goat. Um, out of 100% pie of all the time that he's working on football, we see him 1% of that time. Mm. All the rest he's putting the work in to make sure that he is the goat, to make yeah. sure that he goes on that field and he performs to the best of his ability. Right. For me, when I'm working as a manager, I'm doing all the things behind the scenes that nobody sees really right. in the real world. And then when the special comes on, they see the special and that's, that's the work that I collaborate with, with the artist. It's my talent behind the scenes and right. their talent on screen that, that makes it all happen. And that's what it's all about. And I, I, I want to say to the audience that, this is a, a very unique day for me because you know this, but I was at the cellar and I, I met you and, and then I went to see Dave Attell and I've known him my whole life. He used to host the open mic nights at the Boston. <laughs> I spent, wow, I spent more, crazy. I spent more time with him. I, I didn't manage him. I spent more time with him probably than a lot of the management clients back then. And there's something about him that always makes me laugh. I understand that every comic, people have a different taste, you know, and I just was, I just walked down there. I'm sitting in that bench seat that they pull out <laughs> for me all the time, this hidden bench seat in the back of the original comedy cellar. And he goes on and he, he, he does something very generous. He, he brings Ian on, and then he gets the other host involved as well, but Ian Fidance. Mm -hmm. Did I pronounce that properly? Yeah, Fidance. And Ian walks on stage with him, and for those of you who don't know Ian, um, you know, he's got tattoos all over his body. He's wearing these shorts that don't fit. He's wearing a tank top that... He's got like a dad bod, but I don't know if he's a dad. He's got a smile that he's looks look. kind of like the, you know, the part Joker and part the clown from It or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And, you know, and he just walks on stage. And the first thing David Tell says, hey, Ian, how you doing? How's the day job as a rodeo clown? <laughs> And, you know, it's just, I just can't, I just drop to my knees. And because I think to myself, like, I don't know why there's, there's things about phrases in comedy and the phrases in comedy. There's something about the phrase rodeo clown. Rodeo clown. And it's the delivery too. Like I can hear Attell saying that at like 1.30 in the morning. And so you can't, you can't. 
I just can't not laugh. And, and I, I know, and you know, and some people write jokes and they put things together and and they try them out and they don't work and <laughs> and they're like, how is this possible? It doesn't work. And he, anyway, so it's after so the great. show, he goes outside and he talks to me and he says, uh, Barry, you, you know, you got to, you got to interview some of the young guys, you know, you got to start, you know, you, you just interviewing people who've been doing it, whatever, but there's a bunch of new people that are doing things that are special and, and you have to do it. And I, and I, when he said that to me, I thought of you, you're the first person I thought of. And, uh, and I don't, you know, take that Matt Rife. <laughs> no, he's a great guy. I don't know. <laughs> I remember Gary Abdow, uh, uh, introduced me to him when he was 17 or 18, wanted me to represent him when yeah. he was 17 or 18. Uh, but, um, Thank you, Attell, for saying Barry should reach back to the young guys. Yeah. Also, that's one of the reasons why Attell is so great because there's so many comics now who are trying to figure out the social media thing. It's like when they all kind of made fun of Dane Cook for building out a website and having a MySpace. Um, and then like three, four years later, they were like, hey, man, uh, can you show me uh, how, to, how, to, how to build a website and make a MySpace? It looks like the business is going in that direction. Um, then the... the there were all these comics who were like, that's not the way to do it. You do it this way. You go in the clubs and you're miserable for years. And why would you ever try to find a way to network and put all your fans in the one spot? Now that social media has become such a thing um, where there's a comedy explosion happening right now uh, in a way that some would argue killed comedy in the 90s with, with the uh, interest in comedians leading to more clubs being open, leading to more clubs shutting down. Um, now you're not seeing that as much because of social media and the almighty algorithm that caters to you like you can want when you go on your your, your tiktok you can see 50 different comedians um it's like a music playlist right you don't listen to just one artist there's a bunch and it's so accessible to people now in a way that you have to you can't do stand up without the social media or do anything professionally without the social media and Attell is one of those uh guys i think it might be a new york thing too like sort of always keeping your ear to the ground and seeing what's going to be next. Um, and he he's at the cellar and he's one of the greats and he must see the influx of young guys that are coming through, probably more than ever, um, younger stand-ups who are getting into it and getting past and getting through and they're on the same shows as he is. Um, and uh, I think that's what makes him such a great comic is uh, performing is listening and it's not just to the audience. A lot of the time it's listening to what the cultural zeitgeist is right now. Where's the line? Uh, where where are people finding out about you? How does that translate into ticket sales? And um, shout out David Tell. We've never met, but I used to watch you for years. I mean, I still watch you. But years of working at the pair or at Greenwich Village Comedy Club, I would just watch Dave chain smoke outside and then go into clubs. And it was like looking at Batman. Like I was like, there he is. That's Adele. It's the Dave. Um, and uh, it's 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 just cool that that he's like, because so, it's so easy to fall into the thing and being like, man, this younger generation doesn't know what they're doing. And the fact that he's like, Barry, you got to spotlight some of these younger dudes. That's so cool. It's You've never met him. Never met him. How is that possible? I, I don't the, know. You don't go up to him and say hello? You met him. Yeah, no, I should. I you, should. I, I turn into such a little kid when I meet comics. Like, 
I've, I've, I've like, uh, I, like Judy just now in the elevator. I became like three years old. I've been Judy following. Gold. Judy Gold. I just met her at the elevator. I've never met her before. And I was like, hi, Judy. Great to meet you. It's really great to meet you. Great, great, great. I think I, I just because like I've been a huge fan forever. I've known Jess Kirsten for so many years. She was the first person I opened for. Uh, I just saw her in the hotel room, or I saw her downstairs in the lobby, and uh, again, I was a little kid. Like I was like, hi, Jess, great to see you. Oh my God, hi, it's been great, great, great. And I've had so many conversations with her. Um, but Atel is, is, next time I see him, I'm going to walk up to him and be like, Barry Katz sent me, and just walk away. <laughs> Do you visualize the moment in your career when somebody's going to come up to you like a little kid? It's weird that it uh, it's happened a few times Um and the messages that people send on social media are so heartfelt. Uh, there's a guy who sent me a message a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he sent me an email that my manager forwarded to me, and it made me cry. So he was a combat vet, and he sustained a brain injury that have affected him, uh, his speech patterns. And uh, he decided to get into, he wanted to take a comedy class so we could learn relearn how to speak and and public speaking as you know is everyone's it's the number one fear so we had to sort of relearn how to how to speak again and he was coming up to or he sent me an email uh talking about how he was looking up comedians online and he found my stuff and uh, uh he made me cry just because he was like watching you and watching watching crowd work and just thinking on your feet and speaking so clearly made, had a huge impact on my recovery and that's coming from a guy who was a a sergeant in the military Got a combat injury, a brain injury. I I will bomb one night and not go leave my house for three days, right? Like he's literally dropping bombs on people or stopping bombs from being dropped on someone else. And then he's like, "Man, you're a stand up. I could never do what you do." I'm like, "Dude, I could. I can't do what you do. That's why I do what I do." Um, so it's probably a tell gets it all the time. So many comics just walking up to him, and I've seen him talk to younger comics and really take the time out to be like this is what you got to do xyz um so when it happens to me not that it happens at the level he does but when it happens to me it's sort of the only time i'll give myself a pat on the back because that's perf that's that's the love that you get back that you're that you're trying to put out there into the world comedy sort of on one thing where like people can put their money down and and guarantee that they're gonna feel a little bit better with an involuntary reaction that creates all these chemicals in your brain so when you when you put that out there and you get it back it means it means something sometimes it means more than a laugh sometimes it feels better than than, than killing in front of 1300 people i texted you uh after i met you <laughs> um i texted you i meant a lot to me do you remember what i, I do. said to you? i <laughs> i was at like Five in the morning, I want to say, um, and I woke up to it, and I thought I was having a fever dream, and I like put my phone back down, and then I woke up, and I reread it again, and I was like, wow, Barry really does, he is the guy you, you think he is, he has the heart he does, he was like, it was great to meet you, I think you're one of the greats, and I'm truly concerned about you, Troy. Uh, so a combination of those three things meant a lot, um, all of them warranted. Why do you think I was concerned about you? That's a great question. Um, Did you think about it? I, uh, yeah. Um, I I couldn't tell if it was because... It's multi-layered. Yeah, I figured. I'm going to guess what I think some of the layers are. Um, number one, it was four in the morning, I think we met. One in the morning. Some early time in the morning. Uh, or late at night. Um, and uh, I was with 
Ryan Reese. We were coming from doing a show out in Long Beach. Um, uh, worried. I was. I. I was trying to think. Like, did he have the general worry that he does for most young comics that he sees? Because uh, the other stuff was great. I didn't think twice about the nice things you said, but the worry was in my head forever. Um, probably because there's a. I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts toward the career, and you've probably seen a lot of rises and falls of people who get uh, overwhelmed and then stop and then. Uh, uh, there's nothing what's that line in Bronx Tale the saddest thing in the world is wasted potential um so I think that was your way of sort of being like hey sl slow down for a second there bud it's gonna be okay um but it did that did mean a lot to me when you said that what did you mean by worry could I ask yes there's a there's a bunch let's of get naked let's get vulnerable I feel like I'm in therapy now this is great I'm so relaxed there's a bunch of things yeah number one um I was hammered too, by the way. I should not hammered, but we were drinking. Well, let's start with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's my lens. Yeah. I'm one person. Right. So just take it with the no, spirit intended. Yeah. This is my thoughts, my process. I don't think anybody who's in the line should do anything to where somebody can pass them in line. Oh, I see what you mean. At first I was like, I wasn't on Coke. <laughs> and I see what you mean. So, You're saying, yeah, yeah, right. I think Jay Leno was the person who said this to me. He said, uh, we're all in a line. You as a comic mm -hmm. are in a line. It's a long fucking line. When you started, you know, in high school, um, starting to go out and doing what you're doing, yeah. there was a long line. Right. You were at the end of the line. Right. But you moved up in the line. How do you move up in the line? You move up in the line by working harder and smarter than everybody else. And somebody, you know, is an asshole to somebody. Somebody posts something that's offensive. Somebody is on drugs and they decide to take a month off. Somebody has depression and they decide that they don't want to take their medication that day. And you move up in line uh -huh. to get to where you are. And when you move up in line, somebody's out of the line. Let's just look at the comedy seller, okay? Before you got into the comedy seller to do stand-up there, for your very first spot there, if you were to look at the lineups of all the comedians that went on for the past year and you were to put an alphabetical list together... Mm -hmm. Okay, there'd be a list and that would be the line. Yeah. And then if you did the algorithm and somebody did it for you or whatever that showed, okay, who did the most spots all the way down? Let's say there were 100 comics. Mm -hmm. So there's somebody did the most spots and somebody did the least spots. Now you enter the line. Right. What happens? Someone else gets bumped out of the line. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so in my humble opinion, you don't hang out at Jerusalem of comedy clubs, not in your right mind. Mm -hmm. You have to be always at a place where you are at the best representation of yourself. 
Now you might say, hey, there's other people are fucked up there. What are you talking about? I can do, you know, we can have fun, whatever, as a bar, we do whatever. But if you're there and somebody else isn't and they're at the top of their game, they can work an angle. They can talk to somebody. They can do, while you're off, you know, like uh, not at your best, Mm -hmm. somebody else is at their best. Right. And then they can pass you in that line. And now you got to figure out how to get, and you might say, okay, that's an isolated incident, Barry. It's just something that happened. I came from a gig. I was happy. I'm celebrating. I'm doing whatever. Celebrate your happiness away from the workplace. That's a great piece of advice. True. Because that's was the first thing I was worried about. Because if if I said to myself, if he's doing this now, well, then what's going to happen a year from now? And what that means is it's a comfortability. Mm. It's a feeling like, hey, I'm uh, I'm feeling good. I'm, you know, you wouldn't. If I had you meet uh, Steven Spielberg, would you show up to the meeting in the bag? <laughs> no, you. No, wouldn't. I'm showing up to the meeting to get the bag. No, you wouldn't. Why? Right. Why wouldn't you? Why why do you go to the greatest comedy club in the history of the world? Right. Who blesses you, who anoints you, one of them, and gives you that opportunity to work the same stage as Chappelle, Attell, Burr, and you walk up the stairs and you have a bunch of drinks. It's like it's like to me, it's like I know this is sounds really harsh no but to me it's like taking a shit on the table yeah it's like that's that's what it is it's like oh my god now how come Chappelle can have a drink there and how can he can you know whatever because he's he doesn't have to worry anymore you're in the line here Mm -hmm. he's here a tell could fucking put a cigarette out on somebody's lapel and he's gonna be forgiven right Okay, Burr can come in and have an argument with somebody and throw a chair if he wanted to. It's okay. He's already got to the line, the top. Yeah, he fought all of Philadelphia. But you're, that's right, but you're starting in the line. Now right. I know what you're saying, but I'm not starting in the line. I've, I've moved up in the line. And so that's the first thing I, yeah. I worry about. Great advice. Do you feel, do you, I just want to make sure, do you, do you feel like, you disagree with that or is it no i mean i honestly didn't know we were going to go to uh the cellar that night um and uh it was fun because i walked in and i saw all these people that i opened for over the years um and uh now that like you know the things have been going well they've been coming up and we're having conversations i saw guys like adam ferrara and uh um who I opened for at Bananas, and then I got to see him uh, at the cellar, and we were talking, and he's like, real proud of you, bud. Um, And then I'm talking to Adam, and I just see Barry behind Adam, like Slender Man. It was so crazy. Like, I just saw, like, and I was like, and then when you came over and said hi to me, I was like, okay, thank God. Someone else sees him, too. Um, uh, But uh, that was, I remember the next day waking up and sort of having the feeling of, like, how did I let 
because we went to the, the village underground or the, that's the one that's around the corner from the original cellar right we got there and it was closed should have gone home then <laughs> I, re- I was like oh it's one in the morning and they're locking up here i should probably go home um and i was having this conversation with someone yesterday uh where i feel so lucky to be able to do this for a living and you forget that it's so much fun when it's great that you forget that it is work and that you are at work and that you're in an office without it being in an office. That's the second thing I wanted to talk to you about. Hey everybody, it's Barry Katz and I wanted to talk to you about Blueprint for Success. This is a community that I put together during the pandemic to help all artists of every walk of life in the entertainment business, no matter where you are in that part of this journey, it's designed to help you. There are podcasts with people that will inspire you, like Kevin Hart, Judd Apatow, Bill Burr, that you can't find anywhere else but on this program that I've interviewed, to times where we get to talk to executives in the business that you would never have access to, to tell you what you need to hear and to answer your questions to all sorts of different videos and master classes designed to help you get to the promised land. That's what the blueprint for success is. Doesn't matter whether you want to be a stand-up comedian, a sketch performer, a podcaster, an actor, an actress, director, writer, social media person, whatever you want to be. I've been doing this for 40 years. I've had the honor and been humbled to represent people like Chappelle, Wanda Sykes, Louis C.K., Dane Cook, and probably over 20 other people who went from a studio apartment to being a multi-millionaire and a household name. And I want that for you, and I wanted to take the time with this program to be able to help you on your way there, to get there and to heighten and increase the trajectory of your career. Blueprint for success is the way to go. I'm proud to be a part of this program, and I'd be proud to have you to be a part of it too. Is that you're experiencing such amazing success. You've earned it. You've figured it out. Thank you. Other people can't figure it out. You're not a a brain surgeon. Some people are like wildly, uh, you look up to so like with reverence who can't figure out what you're figuring out. Mm. You see people who I know that if you were just be in a soundproof booth, you'd say, holy shit, am I ever going to be as funny as that guy or that girl? And then you look at their numbers and they're not even touring and they're not doing and you're like why can't this person figure it out like there's so many comedians like that mm-hmm. so when you do something like that what happens is in my humble opinion and i talk about this in different ways but i'm going to talk about it this way i'll use the trapeze reference so who's a better trapeze artist sold out show triple somersault they're both you know doing the same thing 
one performs with a net and one performs without the net. Who's the better one? Um, I guess the one without the net, because that's a different skill, right? You, you know? are correct, sir. Because yeah. what happens if he doesn't? <laughs> yeah, do he, he, yeah, your own heart. You know, you just fall that's right, right down. Yeah. But what happens? The second thing I'm worried about you, which you said the workplace and whatever, is that things are happening to you at a very accelerated rate. Before it was like, I'll post one thing and whatever that, then it's a while before the next thing happens. Now you're setting your own records every day. You know, there's another video like on, on Monday or something that goes, you know, mm -hmm. well, and then you're like, okay. And then on Wednesday, there's another thing that beats that. And then on Saturday, there's another. Right. So things are really accelerated. Mm-hmm. And you're experiencing something that very few people experience. So when that happens, the net starts forming underneath you. And you feel like you're a little more invincible than you were when you started. And I know you have humility. But sometimes I think through my lens and I've seen it happen because I've been around, yeah. you know, I've, I've been fortunate as you know, uh, and I can't quantify in a court of law what it is of why, <laughs> why I've been around so many young artists like yourself who started in a studio apartment somewhere and became multimillionaires yeah. and household names. Um, but I, I, I've been there 25, I think it's 25 times I've seen this happen and I, I'm never wrong when it comes to seeing somebody like that. And I say that, which sounds conceited and I'm not saying it like that cause I, I'm a very humble person, but there's something about that happens in me when I see somebody and I just, something happens and I shook your hand and something happened to me and i just said holy shit this is another one wow thank you and i've seen what happens along the way i know what things like curtaining off a venue is okay i know what it's like to see somebody throw a plate of spaghetti against the wall and have it shatter yeah I know what it's like to see somebody not show up and calling over and over again, oh, I overslept. I know what it's like to have a person on a set drunk and trying to get through it. Uh -huh. I know I've seen people get propped up and put in a place where they could just do their stuff and hopefully they could get the take. I've seen people needing cue cards because they weren't prepared. Right. Brilliant people. And so when I see little pieces of instinct in that, that dead zone thing that happens to me, that I feel like when I met you, I was like really concerned because I felt that you were a person that could go either way. Right. 
and that hurt me and bothered me because I feel like you're the kind of person who has to do something that no probably very few comedians or people would ever advise you to do and that's every day wake up and pretend that you're shit and that you gotta figure out a way to better yourself on stage and better the content because social media is incredible it's an incredible way to reach the world amazing but your content that comes from your brain to your mouth that actually has the words and the construction of the premises and the jokes you know people might remember a, a parody of something with Jerry Seinfeld right but at the end of the day as I shared with the Lucas brothers here I said it's safe to write a biopic mm -hmm. it's safer to parody Seinfeld than to go on stage and have a premise that no other comic in the world has right and then write jokes to that premise right so all the comics upstairs go that fucking god god yeah. damn it <laughs> god he fucking figured out how to do that too that cocksucker yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> and I feel like that's the other concern is that you're performing and you're walking through life now it feels like with a net and I'm praying and I'm hoping that you start thinking of your career as performing without the net so that when you do everything it's like the most important people are watching me all the time now i know i've said and you quoted the audiences your writing partner mm -hmm. and you have to go on and work out it's the only profession in the world where you have to you have to work out your stuff in front of the audience yeah and so so you can't always be your best but you work out your shit at the shittier clubs and when you go into, you know, when you're doing that gig in Long Island City or Long Beach or whatever it is, fucking, you know, do whatever. Nobody's seeing that. But when you're at places like the cellar, it's like off stage, be the best representation of yourself, and on stage, figure out how to those comics watch you and they're like, Jesus Christ, this fucking guy, God mm. damn it, yeah. He figured that out too. Yeah. Mind body connection. Um, and that's what we were just talking about earlier too, uh, with um with what just comes from from brain to mouth. We were talking about the Seinfeld stuff that I did for a while and uh uh you you mentioning what's safe versus what's safer. And being here this week, like I, I could have put out one Seinfeld sketch a week since last year. They've all would have gone viral. I would have made a lot of money. Um, and that would have been fine, but that's not why I got into this business. Um, I watched my parents work their whole lives and never make any money. So I figured if I was going to work and not make any money, I'm going to do something I enjoy doing while I'm doing it. And I stand up, end up being the thing that I found the torture I was comfortable with, uh, doing every single day. Um, and 
the thing that I love about it, and it sort of happens when it, you, you either get to a certain level of success on stage or on social media where you could take chances and um, work out things that, or I'm able to put out ideas or uh, sketches or podcast clips or things that I know are a risk now, but I have an audience that will back it up or, or give me criticism and I can pretty much value what they're going to say, whether it's good or bad. Uh, I try not to read the comments. I'll just have my manager do it because otherwise the comments stay in my head for years. I remember every YouTube comment from 2008 to now. Um, but the most important thing I find when it comes to we're coming up with material, what you're doing on stage, um, it's easy to get into a feedback loop of performing all night having that 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 shitty headspace creep up on you going to bed waking up in the middle of the afternoon going to the show again just doing that same thing over and over and over again especially when you get on the road and the thing that i do to pull myself out of that is i go you, you've got if you want to write material uh and you want to be a successful comic you've got to go experience life you've got to go do life shit just like go to a lake, go to a beach, go to a park, go go to a, go somewhere you haven't been before. Um, and being up here in Montreal this week and seeing so many other comics, it's easy to get in, uh, intimidated by it. But I I get inspired more than anything else just because you get to see everyone who's up here, whether they're in new faces or whether they're doing an hour long headliner show. You get to watch them because most of them I've been fans of for years evolve that here to here to here point and uh some of them i've watched and studied their new faces some of them i've watched do an hour this week uh some are both and um i think it's a really the mind body spirit connection is the most important thing do you meditate you strike me as a guy who meditates you are very concise with what your thoughts are and when you say something you immediately Maybe it's just from working in this all these years, and this is a talky business. But you strike me as – because I meditate. I used to have a really bad cocaine problem for years. I've been off coke for about three years. Um, but meditation is what helped me a lot because uh, I wanted to get into Buddhism. Um, but the meditation aspect, just mindfulness. You're a very mindful person. People are shocked by this. Never meditated in my life. Wow. What do you attribute it to then, your mindfulness? I think it's like people – again they don't believe this i don't even know if i believe it but every <laughs> every every shaman has told me like i've been like a, i was like a, a rabbi or a, a sage yeah. in like another lifetime and long ago so it's like i i did this thing i'm going to share with you yeah. i don't think i've shared this with anybody on the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. i did this thing a, 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 a consulting client that i had uh, spent $7,000 for me to go to uh, Utah to do something called The Journey. Uh -huh. It was some kind of, uh, it wasn't psychedelic thing, but it was a, a thing, a psychotropic, whatever it was. And I'm there with these people. They flew in and uh, they gave me a pill. You know, it's like the weirdest thing. You trust yeah. people. It's like, it's like, here, we work for the journey. Here, yeah. take this pill. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. The well, journey is Xanax. And so I take the pill and then I, I'm, they, I'm woozy. And then they take me into the room. They give me two shots. And then I'm like, I'm like, I'm like hallucinating and like what, whatever it is. And I've got a weighted blanket on myself. Oh my God. I've never done this before in my life. And so, um, and before I did it, uh, 
they said, listen, uh, you know, you may throw up. There's a thing. I don't, you, you, you may be screaming out things. We want to record things because everybody talks about their life. You're, you're gonna, everybody talks about their life, and it's about a two- or three-hour thing. I wake up 12 hours later, okay? I'm going through tw- I'm going through 12 hours of footage through the weekend, and I didn't say one word the whole time except one time in the middle of the thing. I just yelled, Hitler. <laughs> and, I, and I took the two people aside, and I'm like, I'm like, look, is there something wrong with me? I heard people screaming, Mama! Daddy, don't do that to the little doll. Anyway, so uh, don't <laughs> kill Hitler. the dog, Daddy. Jesus. So, whatever. so, so it's like, so I, I say, what is it like? Why was I not verbal? I just, I had a great time. I slept for twelve hours. They were yeah. two hours. Like what? They said, Barry. Sometimes people have lived other lives and they just have figured stuff out and. And you had nothing to really figure out. So, yeah. so I don't meditate. That was a long way. No, of that was you were Hitler in a past life. That's I'm, why they brought you back as Barry Katz. I'm sorry. We're like, about this that. is going to get him. This is going to get him. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. So I, I just. Uh, I, Thank I, you for sharing that. No problem. I'm going to ask you a couple more things Please. and then I'll ride off in the sunset. There's yeah. so many things I want to ask you, but I can't ask you those things because I've taken too much time. <laughs> yeah. That's um, Thank you for the advice, by the way. And I'm and just to, to, as a side, I'm gonna uh, edit out the you know take a shit on the table. That was that was too harsh. So. No, that was that was a, you don't have to edit that out. I think that's important sure? for people to hear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, okay. I'm I'm giving up condoms and drinking. Both Barry told me to do. Uh no, I don't think you should. <laughs> that's give up the, the industry condoms. standard. Give you know what you should do with the condoms though is that uh, you always uh, use your own. Yes. No, I'm, I, my days of rinsing them out and sharing them with the, the guy who went on before me are over. I'm like, hey, Adam, catch. <laughs> Jimmy Hat. Uh, I've, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. But that's it's, funny. That, did you, did, 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 have you ever done that bit that you just did? Uh, no, no, it's no. Funny. I mean, well, <laughs> it's funny. Um, no, the days of, uh, anyway. So. <laughs> Uh, let. This is the best thing I've done all week. Everything else I've had to just sort of sell soap, and this week I've been able to just this a... right here. I've just been able to sit and talk. I forgot you were even here, Mark. Holy that, shit! That means a lot. <laughs> Marks, don't be mad at me for not asking all these great questions because I gotta get them. I gotta get them out of here. Um, <laughs> what's your uh, two last questions? Yeah. What's the greatest risk you're willing to take in your career? In general, mm-hmm. uh, one that I've taken or one that I'm still one that you've to taken take. and one that you haven't taken yet. I think about a lot of the time, like I am living a career based on a dream I had when I was 17, which doesn't feel legal. Like I think back to like I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. Shocker. Um, we have a great relationship now, um, but like when I was coming up, he would vehemently hate the fact that I was trying to be a comic, um, as most parents would, I assume. Uh, and I just had the fuck you, dad. It's called hip hop. You don't understand. Uh, but as I got older, I was like, 
oh, you know what? That was probably the right thing to do as a parent to come to your 17-year-old kid and be like, hey, man, uh, maybe you shouldn't uh, put your whole rest of your life on this right now when you're 17. Uh, so I think the greatest risk I ever took was uh, – packing my bags up right out of high school, moving to a city that I didn't really know anybody in, uh, working um, a nine to five, just so I could work from six to eight uh, uh, and doing shows all, all, all night, working all day. Uh, the, the greatest risk I feel like you take now, or one that I do every single time, I, I liken going on stage to skydiving. Or like that moment before your foot touches the stage is like right before you pull the ripcord out from and the parachute goes where you're just free falling. And every single time before I go on stage, I'm thinking, I don't know how to do this. Why? I, the, how, did, how, did, how did I sell this show out there? They are about to be severely disappointed. And I have nightmares where I wake up after getting off stage at, 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 at 37 minutes and not even doing a meet and greet because I, I did so badly. Uh, so I think that the. It's a continual risk mindset that you have to put yourself in because any time that I'm too comfortable doing something, I immediately try to put myself out of my comfort zone because that's the only way you're going to grow. So like if I'm comfortable with how this hour is working, I'll try to reverse the hour and work it back to front just so I know it really works. Um, but like the, the, the risk mindset is something I try to live in because if I don't take a, a big risk or a giant leap, uh, I'm never going to know. That's what I'm capable of. Like in, in April, Mitch Hurwitz reached out to me, speaking of Ted Sarandos. Um, and he was like, he sent me this long beautiful Arrested message. Development. Arrested Development. Creator of Arrested Development. Um, he wrote uh, a, a lot of Ellen episodes, Golden Girls. And he's just truly like, I love that man to death. Um, but he reached out to me and sent me a beautiful message online. And he was like, I know you're going to be in San Diego. Uh, maybe I'll come up to San Diego, um, but I don't really know if I want to deal with the traffic because he's in L.A. and, and it's, a, it's like a three hour ride. So I get on the phone with my reps and I'm like, I don't care how much we have to spend. Like I'm flying out a day early and I'm just going to go meet with Mitch. I'm never this is my first Hollywood meeting, but it really wasn't like we were in suits and yeah, see, he has a big deal. Like we were just in his house for like eight hours just him and I meeting and, and talking uh, about comedy, about projects he's worked on. We still talk like once a week. Um, and knowing that I just just having the mindset of being like, I'm going to do this right now. Now I know I can. So the next time, like if, if someone else reaches out uh, or, or, or anybody that comes through the DMs or goes through my management, maybe a year ago I would be scared. But now I'm like, well, because I know I did it the last time, I could step out of my comfort zone and do it again. Living in risk. Yin and yang. One foot in order, one in chaos. I spend well, a lot more time in chaos than order. But this is the perfect balance. Well, you know this. You know me well, so you know what I'm going to say. Show me who you're with, and I'll yeah. show you who you are. <sighs> yeah. Eight hours. Yeah. Eight hours in somebody's house. Right. Think about this for a second. How many people have been in your home besides uh, the, ran the random, uh, the random, uh, uh, the ones who I was rinsing the condoms out for? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Now, how many besides those people? Besides those people. Right. How many people have been in your house? Yeah, I can't think of anybody like that I've ever had okay. in my house like that. And can you ever visualize having somebody in your house for eight hours? 
Not somebody I've never met before. That's right. Yeah. So what does that tell you? Uh, that I, I should have left at four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it uh, it tells I mean, it, 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 I left that meeting and it felt like 20 minutes had went by. I went to the comedy store after that and I was sitting there just being like, I was just at, I was with Mitch Hurwitz for eight hours and I couldn't tell you what we talked about because we talked about everything. It was like this. Um, and that was, I felt really good about myself after that because I developed a friendship and also I was like, okay, maybe I do belong here. And then you also, my focus shifted from, I mean, obviously then the writer strike happened and the sack strike happened and I'm still writing, I'm still working on stuff. Um, but that was my focus shifted from, okay, I can do this. This is, it's, it's who you surround yourself with, like you said. Um, and uh, it, it felt good. Thank you for reminding me about that. I needed to hear that. Awesome. Last question. Yes. What advice do you have for the young person who's 17 year old, 17 years old, taking shit from their dad, who doesn't uh, seem to like them very much uh, at that point in time where that's what they felt. Yeah. And uh, going against the wishes of their family to follow a dream and then to have the kind of career that you're having at this stage of your life. It's funny because 10 years ago, from, um, I did New Faces on Wednesday, July 26th. 10 years prior to that was when I was on Fallon. And I just went to a taping of Fallon and uh, I was 17 going into my senior year and he was doing this segment freestyling with The Roots where he asked the audience members questions and then the roots make up a song based on the answers. And I was sitting in the front row and I was determined to get on the show. And I saw the roots come out with their blue cards and I knew that they were going to do this segment. So Jimmy comes up into the audience and I just start screaming at him. Uh, and, and we have a back and forth. We have like a four minute segment. I go home, see myself on TV, on NBC, on late night, which is a show I've watched my whole life. Conan, I grew up on and, and, and then Fallon took over. I looked at that and went, no matter what my dad says, no matter what my mom says, when anybody in this small town says that I'm growing up in, like it's a, I just saw that I can do it, right? At probably the most dangerous time in your life where you can see something like that. Like people say all the time, like, oh man, it's so great you started when you're so young because now you're going to set yourself up for life. Yes and no, right? Like, yes, because thank God things have gone, you know, the other way for me. Things have been going pretty well. Uh, if they if if they weren't going well, uh, I'd probably be hanging from a, a hotel balcony. Um, and and those battles that you deal with with your family, with your parents, with any naysayers, with anybody who's telling you no, sort of prep you for what is going to happen to you in your career. That's why some of the best comics on the planet are broken people because the battles that life have thrown them are 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 so much bigger than the battles this business throws at them. Um, and it's good, like. Envy is good. Uh, uh, guilt is good. Having to prove somebody wrong, those are all, I mean, they're not, they're not feelings that are good for you. They don't feel good, but it is good for motivation. Um, and what I would tell my 17-year-old self who wasn't getting along with his parents uh, or who had naysayers is uh, to, I wouldn't tell him to ignore them. I would tell him to listen to them because it's very important to, you can't just listen to the, to the good stuff. That's why I don't read comments, because if the good ones will stay in my head, then my ego won't fit into my city bike helmet. And uh, the bad ones will make me start writing suicide notes. Um, so there's you, you, you have to take it all in. And then also, I think what you said a lot during this podcast is the most important thing. See how you see it through your own lenses, because everything is subjective, right? There's so few objective truths in this world. Um, 
there's a difference between delusional and being uh, subjective, but um, seeing things through your own lens and giving yourself time to prove yourself right or wrong. Patience is the most important thing, but also like having a bit of angst goes a long way. I'm still waiting for this teenage angst to go away. I don't think it will at this point. I think this shit is here with me forever. And it plays a big part in in, in your uh, success. Uh, so if you hate yourself, just keep hating. It'll work out for you, I promise. Troy Bond. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for having me. This, this is the best really conversation I've had all week. means a lot to me. This is, I now know what it's like to have a father figure. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.